This episode of An Organic Conversation is brought to you by Credo Beauty, offering luxury natural skincare and beauty products in San Francisco and online at credobeauty.com. We are what we put into our bodies and what we put onto our bodies. In this hour of an organic conversation, we are taking a deep dive into the world of cosmetics and body care products, the regulations that govern this industry, and what to look out for when we shop for healthier options. Beauty or the Beast, choosing safe personal care products, today on an organic conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. The cosmetics and body care industry is big business. Consumers in the United States alone spend billions of dollars each year on personal care products designed to support their health and well-being. And yet, it is a highly confusing world to navigate when it comes to ingredients, regulations, and health standards. In this hour, we are speaking with an expert on the topic, and we will learn what to look for and what to avoid in products, how we can get involved in improving the regulations around skincare and cosmetic products, as well as how we can stay ongoingly informed about what the industry is doing. Beauty or the Beast, choosing safe personal care products today on An Organic Conversation. All that is coming up in just a minute, but first off, as always... Here's our week's review. And this week, or particularly June 8th, is World Oceans Day. This is a UN-recognized day. Is this, was this the sound of the ocean that you're making yeah, in your microphone? <laughs> well, I think that even though the day June 8th is recognized as World Oceans Day, it's a really good time for all of us, as Helga continues with the ocean noise in the background, for all of us to recognize the value, the health, and and the fun that comes from our oceans and our waterways. And you can visit worldoceansday.org to find out about events that are happening and other ways that you can participate in a celebratory and proactive way. And it reminds me of a wonderful episode that we did and have re-aired a handful of times because it was a AOC favorite, which was an oceans episode with Pierre-Yves Cousteau, the son of Jacques Cousteau. And he has started an organization called Cousteau Divers, CousteauDivers.org. And what they're doing is they are encouraging people, divers, snorkelers, people who love to be on the beach, to be keeping an eye on the coastline, on the shores, yeah, to monitor and basically reporting what you see as a way for us to keep an eye on the health of our ocean. And as more people around the globe do this, the better we can understand the impact of what we do on land and how it affects our oceans. And you can learn a lot on his website. You can also learn a lot on worldoceansday.org. But I think it's just the perfect time to bring mindfulness to this topic because we're spending more time near water right now. Or you can learn a lot on an organicconversation.com, of course. Absolutely. on our website. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oceans, water covering 70% of this beautiful planet. But it really doesn't matter where you spend your time mostly when you spend time in nature because everything kind of ends up in the ocean. Whatever we do terrestrially, 
whether that's using pesticides on agricultural crops, which run off into the waterways and then end up in the ocean, or plastic waste. It's really interesting to rethink about that episode with Pierre-Yves Cousteau, where he says, really, our behavior on land is reflected in the ocean. Uh, of course, global warming, the acidity in the ocean now changing. And so wonderful, even if you're not an, an oceaner, however you include water into your life, if you're more the mountain-type camping person, Just consider that everything ends up in the ocean at one point in today's World Ocean Day. Just a great reminder to spend more time in nature and the importance of nature in our lives. Well, and I'm happy that you brought up camping because it is camping time right now as well. And for us, going camping once a year, just like Helga said, an absolute must to get back into nature. And we're going to be doing an episode on green camping next month in July. And with the help from our listeners, we're going to be gathering information on how to do car camping and backpack camping, all of the ways that you make this a super fun and successful vacation outing. So please follow us on Twitter at Talk Organic and post your suggestions with the hashtag an organic conversation. Yes, and again, if you build a fortress of luxury out of your car somewhere in a national park or in a national forest or on the beach, that's as great as it is to hike in for a week or do the Appalachian Trail. Whatever your experience is with camping, please send us your tried and true experiences and tips for how to be greener, have a lighter footprint, what to do when you're out there. And we will feature all that in the upcoming episode in July. And also send us your questions. If you don't have tips, but you've always wondered how to do one particular thing in the most ecologically sound way, let us know. We'll find out for you. Like organic s'mores without a fire. Yes, it's possible. <laughs> all that in July. Again, that's at Talk Organic on Twitter and hashtag an organic conversation. Thank you, Sita. That was lovely. The importance of nature, an ongoing theme here on an organic conversation. And nature and our skincare products and body care products, our focus in this hour. Beauty or the Beast, choosing safe personal care products. That is our focus, all that and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today we are speaking with an expert about healthy cosmetics and skincare products. What to look out for and what to avoid. Beauty or the Beast, choosing safe personal care products. Our topic, and before we dive into this topic fully, as always, here's the overview from the world of health and beauty. 
in the form of Sitarani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita, and her holistic bite. Well, watching movies is one of my most favorite pastimes. And for many people, a good movie is not a good movie without a bowl of popcorn. And for years, I made microwave popcorn. This is true. And that's true for a lot of us. But these days, I do it on the stovetop. And it took me some time to figure out how to do this the correct way. So I wanted to share my tips with how to make popcorn my favorite way with my favorite recipe so you can enjoy homemade movie popcorn for movie night. So this is how I start. I get a large pot and put it over medium-high heat. Some people will do this with an enamel cast iron. I just use a really large pot that I make my soup in. And I add a tablespoon of coconut oil when the pan is hot so that that coconut oil melts. Then I like to add about a half to one teaspoon of really fine sea salt. You can actually buy fine sea salt, and it's better than kosher salt for this because it's smaller and it'll stick to the popcorn once it's popped in a more evenly distributed way. Then I add about half a cup of non-GMO popcorn kernels, and I cover it tightly. I cover the pot with the lid. I even put a towel over top to keep all of that heat inside. And I swirl the pan to coat those kernels in oil and keep it covered and wait for the popping to start. And once you hear that, you're keeping all of the steam in, and you want to semi-frequently shake the pan so that the, the kernels that haven't popped are getting down lower to the heat source and the lighter ones are coming higher. And you do this continuously. It usually takes, I think, a couple of minutes, maybe two minutes before the popping starts to slow down. And it's always good to err on the side of pulling it off sooner because burnt popcorn is just the worst. So when you pull it off, take the lid off immediately. That will let all of that heat escape and it'll keep your popcorn nice and crispy. And then you can pour it into your bowl and top it with whatever you like. And my favorite thing to add to my popcorn is nutritional yeast and truffle oil. Black truffle oil will take your popcorn experience to a whole new level. So what I do is I drizzle about a teaspoon of olive oil over top again, even though I cooked it in some coconut oil. This will allow, I add a little bit more salt, about a quarter teaspoon. You can do more if you'd like. It'll allow for the salt and a tablespoon of nutritional yeast to stick to all the kernels. And I toss it really well to get it well distributed and finish it off with about an eighth of a teaspoon of truffle oil. You do not need much because this is a very strong flavor. And I prefer black truffle oil over white. And you could get black truffle salt and just eliminate the extra oil if you wanted to. This is a really decadent and wonderful upgrade to your regular movie night. And uh, just a quick shout out to my dear friend Liz Myers, who's the one who introduced me to the coconut oil. I used to do it with olive oil, but there's just something really nutty and wonderful, and it blends well with the nutritional yeast. And nutritional yeast is a wonderful ingredient for getting more B vitamins into your diet. It also has a bit of protein, so it's a nice kind of complete nutrient. I mean, it's not a complete protein, but it's a way to get more nutrients into your snack time. So go out there, try it for movie night, or try it for a mid-afternoon snack. And if you have a different method for making stovetop popcorn or a different recipe that you like to put over your popcorn, find us on An Organic Conversation. You can visit us via Facebook or Twitter and let us know. We'd love to share your tips. Thank you, Sita. That's Sita's holistic bite. And will we find a list of movies that you recommend with that? <laughs> oh my, there's not a, there oil aren't enough web pages in the world for me to list all my favorite white movies. White truffle oil versus black truffle oil. I will what kind put of this movies, recipe online. But what kind of movies to. go with what? <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. 
And now with us is Janet Noodleman, the Director of Program and Policy for the Breast Cancer Fund, who's joining us today from San Francisco, California. Janet, are you there? I am. Thank you so much for making the time. And we, in this hour, want to take a close look at the products and regulations governing the body care industry and the efforts to make these products safer and the ingredient lists more transparent. So thanks again for making the time and being our expert in this hour. And let's start by asking Breast Cancer Fund and Safe Cosmetics. How is that related? Well, that is a very good question, and that's a good place to start. Around 10 years ago, when the, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics was created by the Breast Cancer Fund and a group of allied organizations, we started organizationally to dive into the issue of exposure to cancer-causing chemicals and increased risk of breast cancer. And we realized that there are cancer-causing chemicals in a whole host of consumer products. And that not only was that a real problem, a real source of concern, but it was a really great way to, to talk about a problem that tends to be pretty confounding for people because folks don't know what they can do necessarily to secure stricter regulation of the chemical industry, which is at the end of the day what we need, but they do know how to make safer and better choices and better purchases for themselves and their families. So we started to investigate the world of consumer products to see Where were those cancer-causing chemicals that we needed to be worried about? And we hit upon the cosmetics and personal care products industry as being a, a prime culprit. So it seems like with paints and with carpets and off-gassing, and they're just some classic areas where you would invite toxins, potentially toxins, into your home that you should be aware of as a consumer and maybe go for the eco-alternative and mattresses and you know things you hear about, maybe even the plastic little suckle thing, um, what is that called, Sita, on a baby on bottle? bottle? Yeah, mm -hmm. that, that has you know ingredients that in the plastic softeners that can maybe leach into the milk they're drinking. When it comes to skincare and body care, one would think that this is a fairly tightly regulated industry that only allows certain ingredients that are tested and those are safe products and they don't make you sick. It seems like that's not at all the case. That's absolutely true. It is not at all the case. And it's very counterintuitive for consumers who think that the Food and Drug Administration, who has the authority to regulate the safety of food and drugs, regulates cosmetics as safely as they do those other two categories. And it just simply isn't the case. The $71 billion cosmetics industry is regulated by just two pages of federal law that have only been updated once since they were adopted over 75 years ago. Now, this is pretty mind-boggling because the cosmetics industry is the same size as the biotech industry. Mm. And, um, and the reason why the cosmetics industry has been so poorly regulated, again, over the past 75 years, has been because they've been so good at arguing that they're capable of self-regulating themselves. And the newspaper, you, you need only look at newspaper headlines to know that that just simply is not the case. The um, recent newspaper stories have covered the, the incidence of mercury and face creams, of formaldehyde and hair straightening products, of lead and lipstick, of cancer-causing chemicals and bubble bath and baby shampoo, and the list goes on and on. One thing that's been really interesting for me on this topic is that when in Europe 
there is a completely different set of standards over there than there are here. And I think that a lot of people, well, I'll speak for myself, but I was under the assumption for a long time that we had similar standards that they had over there. And so now as I'm learning about these things, I'm really shocked and scared and disappointed. And, and we're talking about things that we're not just talking about products for women. We're not just talking about cosmetics. We're talking about all kinds of personal care products, things that men and children should be aware of as well, yes? Right. That's absolutely true. So the legal definition of cosmetics doesn't just include makeup, which is what you would think um, it would be. It in, it in fact includes that full spectrum of, of products that we use every day for basic hygiene and beautification. So shampoos, conditioners, body lotion, cleansers, as well as the more traditional makeup like mascara, lipstick, color cosmetics, things like that as well. And, you know, Sita, I just want to take a moment and respond to your first point, which is the difference between EU and U.S. regulation. The Campaign for Safe Cosmetics was actually born out of and and in direct contrast to the EU Cosmetics Directive, which was adopted in 2004, 10 years ago. And with its adoption, banned or restricted 1,300 chemicals from cosmetics. At the Breast Cancer Fund, we took a look at the current state of regulation here in the U.S., and we saw that, in contrast, only 10 chemicals were banned or restricted from cosmetics. And we said, well, what gives? You know, the consumers in the, in the European Union are using the same products as they are here in the United States. That doesn't seem right that these manufacturers are practicing a double standard, and they're making products safer for our friends, you know, and family in the European Union than they are here in the United States. And that, you know, again, that cognitive dissonance, you know, mind-bending nonsense is what helped to give birth to the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics. So so what you're saying is that of the 1,300 that were banned in the EU, only 10 are banned here, and that companies are actually making two different products, the same product, but one is the version they sell. Two different versions. Two yeah. different versions of the same product, one that they can sell in Europe and one that they can sell in America, in, in the United States. Is that correct? So with, with the caveat, yes, that is correct. Ten years ago, the problem was far greater, and the Campaign mm-hmm. for Safe Cosmetics used its advocacy tool and its army of activists to call upon the world's biggest multinational cosmetics companies, so companies that were selling in the EU and here in the U.S., and said to them, you know, no more double standard. We want the same recipe. Um, We want you to globally reformulate your products to the EU's safer standard. And most of the the big companies did do that, again, in response to the demands of the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics. Mm -hmm. But it took a lot of, it took a lot of advocacy you know, really concerted effort on our part. And I mean, if you want, I could tell you, can I share a story with you? We'd love that. Sure, yes. So this is kind of a fun story. And um, in 2006, the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics targeted OPI nail products. And women are probably familiar with that brand because a lot of nail salons use it. And we were particularly concerned about nail polish being sold in the United States because while the EU had banned the toxic trio, which are three chemicals that are, are very prevalently found in, in nail polish, toluene, dibutyl phthalate, and formaldehyde, and all three are carcinogens and reproductive toxins, the U.S. had not. So, you know, again, this was an example where companies were selling more toxic products here in the U.S. 
so a group of us went down to Santa Monica to meet with the CEO of OPI Nail Polish, and we said, like, this is nuts, you know? Like, why are your EU products safer? Um, we want you to get rid of these this toxic trio. And the, the CEO said to us, well, because American consumers just don't care. And we said, they don't care that their products are toxic, that they aren't safe? And he said, no, um, the, the U.S. consumers are, are just simply not aware of this issue. This is not a priority for them. So we said, well, we want to test that hypothesis. So we went out to our supporter base, to our tens of thousands of supporters, and we said, you know, do you want safer products? And they all replied, of course we do. So over a period of six months, <clears throat> we sent action alert after action alert to um, OPI. We um, we all dressed up in prom dresses and um, crowned ourselves mistreatment because we were playing off of the word that they were mistreating their U.S. customers, got like a whole write-up in the L.A. papers, really tarnished the brand of OPI nail products, and within six months, they agreed to reformulate their products to take the three chemicals out. And now they're marketing those chemicals as three-free. They're actually mm-hmm. using you know, the, the, Which the, is great. the safer products as a marketing tool to sell more nail polish because people have really sure. you know, become so aware of this issue. So well, that was a real success it's, story. It's a huge success story, and it takes a lot of effort, first for you to, to uh, go and speak with them, but then all the advocacy that you do as a, as a team and all the ways that you get your, your supporters and the base involved as well. And it's, it's interesting that they'll say, well, Americans don't care. I think so frequently it's that Americans don't know. This is that's not right. a topic that's spoken about publicly and openly, and we need more conversation with people who've been on the front lines like you. Yeah, we're speaking with Janet Noodleman, the mistreatment queen, <laughs> the director of program and policy for the Breast Cancer Fund, who's joining us today from San Francisco, California, in this hour of beauty or the beast, choosing safe personal care products, our topic. Janet, just to f- finish up that story, why would it make sense for a company to have the entire European market get one version and the US market get another? Is it really priced? Is it cheaper to make more harmful products, uh, less healthier products for the U.S. market is that it seems like running two operations is way more expensive than actually adjusting your product and and then in this case using the greenerness of the product, the detoxification of your products and some ingredients to then market your product as something healthier. It seems from a marketing perspective, it would make way more sense to have one product line and market it for the benefits that they have, in this case, taking those three ingredients out. Why does it make sense to have two different varieties to begin with? You know, again, I'm not a marketing expert, but but what these companies were telling us is that different communities of people, you know, whether they be racially or culturally diverse, have different preferences when it comes to cosmetics and personal care products. So well, yeah, and it must be it must be so much cheaper to produce a less quality product yeah. to run that as long as you can before you know a campaign sheds light on it. That's, again, Janet Noodleman, the Director of Program and Policy for the Breast Cancer Fund. Janet, stay with us. We want to dive into the other world, the world of what you look for and, of course, more what to avoid, uh, but really which products to choose, what are good alternatives that are so much healthier for men and women, really, when it comes to body care products. Stay with us. We'll be right back with more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. 
Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sita Rani Palomar. And on the phone with us from San Francisco, California, is Janet Noodleman, the Director of Program and Policy for the Breast Cancer Fund. That is breastcancerfund.org. And also, she's the co-founder of the campaign and the director of the campaign for Safe Cosmetics. That's safecosmetics.org to stay involved and up-to-date on regulatory changes. Sita, let's talk about ingredients. Just before we, we went to the break, we were talking about the, the specific recipe and formulations and how they vary across the United States and Europe. But let's stay on the topic of ingredients and talk about what we should be looking for and why, both on the you know what to avoid and maybe what to prefer. That's always the $69 million question. And uh, why don't I start with uh, the chemicals that we're suggesting people stay away from? Great. And again, I'm, I just want to start with this caveat that there are there are over 10,000 yep. chemicals used to formulate cosmetics and personal care products. So, you know, we're talking about a lot of chemicals, and clearly this interview is not long enough to go through all of them. So I just want to give you a handful of some of the worst of the worst. We call these our unlucky seven. The first is formaldehyde. Formaldehyde is a known human carcinogen, and unfortunately, these chemicals that release formaldehyde, they're called formaldehyde-releasing donors, are used in many, many, many cosmetic products to preserve the product. And so they're found in all sorts of things, for example, shampoos, cleansers, conditioners, lotions. And they're a family of chemicals that you want to stay away from. Still today, I just want to really drive that point home. I heard about this 10 years ago or 15 years ago or 20 years ago. And at this point, I, would, I thought that, of course, formaldehyde as an absolutely known carcinogen buildings have to be completely you know, renovated under very strict regulations of how to do it even. That material is still allowed in skincare and body care products. Why is there no sweeping legislation to prohibit the use of at least the, I guess those, all those seven, right. but at least formaldehyde as one a material that should not be in our environment, even in our living environment, much less on our skin. That is such a great question. I mean, the whole conversation about formaldehyde just makes me crazy because like you said, it's not just found in um, in cosmetics and personal care products. It's in building materials. It's also in uh, household cleaning products. So people are being doused with formaldehyde from the moment they wake up until they go to bed at night. Um, one great example of just really how obnoxious this problem is, 
was the issue of Brazilian Blowout, and that's a hair smoothing, a hair straightening product that lots and lots of women were using. This OSHA lab in Oregon um, started testing the product because uh, beauty salon workers were getting all sorts of um, respiratory problems and burns that were using it. They found out that it contained 10% formaldehyde by weight. And the worst part, I mean, if that's not bad enough, is the product itself was labeled formaldehyde-free. How? How? (laughs) I mean, it was just, you know, again, it was just so mind-bendingly, you know, crazy when you think about a buyer beware situation um, and how horrible it was for the salon workers as well. So just to to explain the, the, um, the full extent of how little authority the FDA has, the FDA issued a voluntary recall to the makers of Brazilian Blowout and asked them to voluntarily take the product off of the shelf because it was adulterated. And the manufacturer said, no, thanks. You know, thanks, but no, thanks. And there was nothing the FDA could do because they don't have the authority to force the mandatory recall of adulterated or unsafe products. So the state of California, the attorney general sued Brazilian Blowout for the misbranding of the product because it said formaldehyde free when it clearly contained formaldehyde. And all they could do was force them to re- do the packaging, not to actually change the formulation of the product itself. And does it so that's list? How broken the system is. Does it, it does it now list formaldehyde in the ingredient list, or is it another ingredient, as you said, that the formaldehyde is kind like off-gassing? Or yeah. yeah, in this case, it actually is listed okay. Okay, in the okay. ingredients because it's not a preservative. It's actually it's there for a different functional Whew. purpose. Okay, I won't ask for all the other ingredients because we will not have time to cover them. And it's more important to cover them than to hear the stories, even though that is so shocking and disappointing. Please continue the other six. So, we want to and cover them. Okay, so I'll move a little more quickly. So the second is triclosan. And this is a chemical more and more people are hearing about because it is also in just a whole host of cosmetics and personal care products. It's used as an antimicrobial agent to actually fight, you know, bacterial accumulation in a product. It's even found in toothpaste, Colgate Total Care, um, if you want to try to stay away from that as well. And the problem with with triclosan is it's a hormone-disrupting chemical, um, which is definitely creates problems with our health, but it also has serious aquatic toxicity. So it's polluting our lakes and our rivers and our other water sources. So it's found most commonly in antimicrobial uh, hand washes. So that's the third. The second, the third is the category of fragrance. So 40% of the personal care products on the market today are fragranced, and so we're not just talking about perfumes and fine fragrances. But anything that has a, a, a nice scent or smell to it is a fragranced product. And the problem with fragrance is the manufacturers don't have to list the ingredients in fragrance. It can be made up of dozens and dozens of chemicals, often toxic chemicals. All they have to do is put the word fragrance on the label. And we've done fragrance testing. And what we found are chemicals like styrene, which is, again, a known human carcinogen, um, phthalates, which are reproductive toxins, musks, which are also hormone disruptors, a whole host of very problematic chemicals. Mm-hmm. Can you just list the other three? Because <laughs> I, wish we had I so much don't want to not mention yes, them. I'm just going to list the other ones, and then I'll <laughs> tell folks to look at our website exactly. for the list of the un- unlucky seven. So <laughs> Thank you. The aphanolamines, we're concerned of these because they can be contaminated with nitrosamines. We're also concerned with the PEGs, the PPGs, the polysorbates. This is a whole family of chemicals 
they're often contaminated with 1,4-Dioxane, which is a known human carcinogen, lead, and other heavy metals. Lead, of course, is a very serious neurotoxin. We did lots of testing of lipsticks and found three-quarters of them contaminated wow. with lead. And then finally, the UV or ultraviolet filters that disrupt hormones, these we find in sunscreens and makeups that have a sunscreen in them to uh, prevent sun damage. And so people can find this list on both breastcancerfund.org and safecosmetics.org? Yeah, the best place, the, 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 the more extensive list will be on uh, safecosmetics.org. Great. And that is really the best way to stay up to date on all legislative or regulatory changes that you are working on, right? Is that? Yes, that's right. And on that note, there is some hopeful work that is being done right now to improve the regulation of cosmetic safety in general. Can you tell us what's happening in Congress, the things that are being done to help protect us from yes. these harmful substances and, and on personal a high care note. products? <laughs> Positive work. Yeah, so, so really the three goals of the campaign or safe cosmetics, have been to protect consumer and worker health, but to raise consumer awareness about the problem of toxic chemicals and cosmetics, to get companies to voluntarily make changes and get chemicals linked to cancer and other adverse health effects out of their products, and then finally, uh, to get the government the authority it needs, the statutory authority and the resources to better regulate the $71 billion industry. So in that regard, we've been advocating for stricter regulation for the last 10 years. A bill was just introduced in the Senate by Senator Dianne Feinstein and Susan Collins from Maine, and uh, it's a 100-page bill, and it, it does a lot of good things, but there are some fatal flaws in the legislation that, that need to be addressed as well. The cosmetics industry writ large is, support, is supporting this bill, so it's kind of a double-edged sword because... They have been fighting regulation of any kind for 75 years, but what we don't want to have happen is for the government to just rubber stamp this business-as-usual approach to self-certifying the safety of cosmetic products, which is how sure. manufacturers are acting right now. We want to make sure that the policy reform is truly meaningful. So the good things in the bill we're supporting and some of the challenges in the bill we're working to um, to address as well. It's such great work, Janet. Janet Noodleman, the Director of Program and Policy for the Breast Cancer Fund and really running with the campaign for Safe Cosmetics. She's the co-founder and director of that campaign. It's a project of the Breast Cancer Fund. Again, that's safecosmetics.org. It seems like we didn't cover what people should look for or what really to aspire to. It seems like, though, this mantra of if you can't pronounce it or if you don't know what it is, then just don't buy it. There are now lots of really healthy products and companies that are mindful about their ingredients and offer really clean really products that do support your health and your well-being. And usually when you read those ingredient lists, literally you know every single ingredient. It's, a, it's just like in the food world, if there's a product that you buy and it has more than three or four ingredients and you don't know any of them, then stay away from it. Is, is that really kind of the golden rule if somebody wanted to make healthier choices from today on? Yeah, we usually start with that tip. We, we call that, quite simply, simplify. And that means choose products with simpler ingredient lists and fewer synthetic chemicals. And do you have products that you would actually recommend on your website as well? 
We do. We we have a list on safecosmetics.org of, let's see, I think of about 300, maybe 350 companies that um, we think are really both walking the walk and talking the talk in terms of safe cosmetics. They're companies that practice full ingredient disclosure that don't use chemicals linked to cancer or birth defects or other adverse health effects and practice a very high level of transparency in terms of just in terms of their policies and their practices. Sure. Yes, luckily so. And Janet, the name of that bill that you were talking about, the Personal Care Safety Cosmetics Act, is are there things that we can read on on safecosmetics.org and breastcancerfund.org about how we can help participate and get this regulation to really support our objectives for healthier, safer cosmetics and personal care products? Thank you for that follow-up question. The bill is called the Personal Care Product Safety Act of 2015, and there is information on our website on safecosmetics.org, so folks can go there to, um, to take a look and learn more about the bill. And again, you know, we just want to make sure that this regulation is done right. And just a couple of the big issues, um, the bill needs to have a stronger safety standard and it needs to require fragrance disclosure. And I talked about how important it is that the, the ingredients, the secret ingredients and fragrance don't remain secret and that consumers have that right to know. And those are two problems with the bill that we're trying to fix. Well, it's happening in so many other industries and it's happening now slowly too slowly, but slowly at least in the cosmetic industry as well, thanks to your work. Thank you so much, Janet, for all your efforts. And I know you've been in this industry for 30 years, having seen it from all angles. So critical work that is being done for skincare and body care products for women and really for men just as well. The whole family is affected by this. So thank you for your work. And I know you're all supporting a, a movie, a documentary that is, has come out just a few weeks ago, the human experiment, just a plug for that. If you, our listeners, can get a hand on that, the human experiment, I'm sure there's viewings online that you can buy or attend. Very well worth watching. And that's how we heard about your great work. So thanks again, Janet, for joining us today. Thank you, Helga, and thank you, Sita, so much. You you just asked such great questions, and it was a pleasure talking with you. It was a pleasure talking to you, and we <laughs> look you. forward to having you back for a very positive update on how things go. Yes. Okay, I'll look forward to that. May all be changed in just a year. We'll have you back. <laughs> <laughs> thank thanks, you again, Janet. Janet. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Again, that website is safecosmetics.org for more information or breastcancerfund.org. Yeah, wow, amazing, amazing work. You have no idea what's going on, how many people are involved in critical causes on our behalf every day. And, you know, it doesn't come to light in regular media. Luckily, we have shows like this one to just give them a platform. I love our work in this moment. And this work is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And this episode of An Organic Conversation is brought to you by Credo Beauty, a natural beauty shopping destination offering products free of harmful ingredients or animal byproducts in San Francisco and online at credobeauty.com. And as we are looking at healthy ingredients and ingredients lists that you can actually decipher and understand and know... So are we looking at our plates and the diets, and hopefully you know at least 90% of what's going on on your plate. We're transitioning to healthy produce. What's in season is next. Stay tuned.
And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And yes, from our skin to our bellies, from what we put onto our bodies to what we put into our bodies, hopefully organic produce. Here is what's in season. And with us now, of course, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, it's Earl Herrick himself. Earl, are you there? Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, Sita. Hi, Helga. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Calling in from the San Francisco produce dock is not calling in from the San Francisco produce dock today. You, you are on the road. You are on a road trip. Where in the world is Earl Herrick? Yes, I've actually been uh, traveling uh, the southwest coming from uh, San Francisco through uh, uh, Arizona and New Mexico. And right now I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Wow, that puts a whole new meaning to my yeehaw every time. (laughs) (laughs) It does. We Uh, have a lot of listeners in Texas, actually. It's in our top 10 states. So fantastic. You're going to give us an update, and it's very relevant. What What is retail and produce like in Texas in June? Well, it's interesting. It's it's in a change. It, if I were, to, almost everything I'm going to do is kind of comparing, uh, you know, the San Francisco area, and it's it's a little behind, if you will, in terms of seasonality, or it could also reflect the uh, smaller amount of growers that might be growing organic, and that's really hard to distinguish. But right now. What we're seeing is fair amount, obviously being so close to Mexico, there's still a fair amount of Mexican product. Uh, and interesting to me, I'm such an avocado fan, there are no California avocados. They're all from mm. Mexico. So that was a bit of a surprise. But actually, of course, they're right across the border and it's not. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting that I would think Texas is hotter, gets hotter quicker or earlier? I would think that produce would come in earlier in Texas, not later. No? Yeah, well, that is interesting. I think some things might. One thing to take in mind, it's incredibly humid down here, and that does not bode well for a lot of different products. Huh. Uh, you know, that, that's, that creates a high moisture, that, that creates fungal opportunities. So I don't know, obviously, as much as I know about the California area and what grows and what doesn't, but I think that's probably a major factor and feature. But right now, which is, you know, beginning of, of June, we're seeing some uh, good Texas uh, peaches, which is so great um, because, you know, I'm so familiar with California and they're very high color. They taste good and they're a little small. But to see Texas peaches, that was a real thrill for me. Wow. And cabbages, carrots, kale, cucumbers. And, you know, and that's so that is the beginning of kind of the summertime product that, that you will see during the season. Uh, because things are kind of broken into springtime, which is more of the greens and lettuces and, the, and cucumbers and peas. And then you start coming on with eggplants, zucchini, bell peppers. That's more of, uh, of what you're going to see later in the summer. Mm-hmm. Well, and so it sounds like right now that those are all really good salad ingredients, your cucumbers, your carrots, your cabbage, and, and also your peaches. I, I remember you telling me, Earl, that there's something really special in Texas that you can't get elsewhere. Is it the Texas grapefruit, and is it still around this late? Uh, you know, it is not, at least not in the in the in the uh, several facilities that I went to. Uh-huh. I believe if you're rating uh, grapefruit, there's really a Florida, Texas, and then California, really? or maybe Arizona. But yeah, we can't get that 
bringing a product out of state into California is a very hard thing to do mm-hmm. with, with all the agriculture going on in California. They're very, very tight in embargo. So if there's anything that has any amount of bug pressure at all, meaning if they find one bug in a shipment, they will reject it. So it's been a number of years since I've seen that wonderful Texas grapefruit in California, and I didn't see any uh, today. Now, what's interesting enough, in the in the it's a it's a winter spring thing. Oregon has different regulations, and they get the product up in Oregon, but we can't get it in California. Well, it's too bad that you can't get the grapefruit while you're there in Texas. But I'm happy to hear <laughs> that the peaches are there because I know that peaches are possibly your most favorite produce uh, item, or one of certainly your your most looked forward to summer produce item. So, Earl, for somebody who deals with you know 300, 400, maybe more items throughout the year in this kind of bread belt of, of California, the wider Bay Area, all the way down to to the L.A. area and up to Oregon, that's a lot of produce. You basically hit every climate zone. Is there anything in Texas that you see other than the grapefruit that, that surprised you to see that is really a new item for you, like cactus or mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I've never been yeah. <laughs> really consciously been to a, a yeah. wholesale or, or, or retail um, natural food store in Texas that I remember maybe in Austin years ago. But produce looks kind of roughly the same to me if you don't really pay attention throughout the country. But you, with such a keen eye, what are some curious items that you saw that you would never see anywhere else? Well, honestly, what I focus on is looking at the organic product. That's one of the things I do. And I sometimes forget when I talk about seasonality, uh, organic seasonality is always a little smaller than the regular season because it's, it's a uh, smaller uh, supply chain. Sure. It's, it's less growers. So that's where I focus. And honestly, I didn't really, I did not see anything other than there was a different type of an avocado that I wasn't really quite sure what it was. Other than that, what was interesting, it reconfirmed for me that so much of what you're going to find anywhere in the United States is still coming from California. Mm-hmm. There was still a good 50% of the products organically grown coming from California. Wow, really? And maybe that changes in July and August a little Ab- bit. Um, absolutely. In, in, absolutely, in it does. States. Yes, absolutely, it does. But like I said, there's maybe 10 products, 10 items from um, from Texas. There was probably at least equal or double that from Mexico. Then the rest is still coming from California. Mm-hmm. So just reconfirms just what, what a wide uh, reach there is. One of the interesting things, too, is I'm really comparing, in a certain sense, like communities. I mean, Austin is a, is a well-known, I mean, this is the home of Whole Foods. The organic culture here is very mature comparatively overall. Mm-hmm. Even though the West Coast is probably a little more mature, still this is a real hotbed. So in going to different retailers, I saw the uh, a very big splash of organic because I think uh, the sensitivity here sure. is very high. So that was one of the things I saw was huge signage for the organic and well displayed and very and like I said, very prominent in, in amongst uh, their full component of what they're offering. But nothing particularly different. That's now I'm thinking as as the season goes on, there I'm sure there's going to be peculiar things that pop up, and sure. I wouldn't be surprised if at all is cactus oriented or or yucca or other kind of uh, semi-arid stuff. 
Well, I do hope that our listeners in Texas will write in and let us know what they're seeing pop up throughout the summer. And send photos, too. We'll absolutely put them up. We would love to know what you guys got going on. And thank you, Earl, (laughs) for calling in and letting us know what's happening around the country. What is special, special, what's in season? Well, I do want to say Texas is a big state. It has big displays, and there was big organic signs. And that's just really a, a sign for organic going mainstream and national. Yeah. Uh, we just traveled to North Carolina, and same thing. There are cafes where all the lettuces and salads are organic in the most remote areas. So wonderful to see even that, that nothing is that different, and that mm-hmm. the awareness and consciousness around it is just, at this point, a fabric of our lives. So And the flavor yeah. is great, that's most Earl importantly. That's Earl Herrick from The Road. Thank you, Earl. Have fun on your road trip. <laughs> Do more research. We will want to hear more when you get back. And yes. can't wait to have you back in the studio. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys. <laughs> Talk Thanks, to you next Sarah. week. Take Bye. care. Yes. Be safe. Bye. Bye now. Ah, so inspiring to speak to people you know from different places. It's literally <laughs> it there's a different angle on life when you travel. And I was totally there with him, like having been to Austin at least and maybe a couple other places in Texas years ago. It's just, it's so fascinating when we travel and when a trusted person gives you feedback from that area and to see how organic changes now everywhere. I mean, consciousness is in the most remote places that I've traveled to in the last few months, Europe, airports, everywhere. Yeah. You can land in in Florida at an airport and there's a natural and, and really organic option f- eatery at the airport. It's just amazing to me that at those places where you didn't expect it for many more years, maybe it's now even there. So great. It's really so great. And yes, the the work that is being done, health and consciousness and transparency, that was really the red thread to me in this hour of um, looking at skincare and body care products, the ones we should avoid and the ones we should pick and ingredients. It's really, this is the decade of transparency. If you're a company that doesn't do the right thing, you will be held accountable at one point. This is what people are calling for right now. Yes. People are really empowered to vote with their dollars and look at what is in the food that they eat and the products that they buy. And Janet was such an incredible guest. She is clearly somebody who has been working in this arena for decades and and knows and knows so much, has so much to offer and share with us who are really just reading the news and searching online to find out what information we can and it's so limited and it's so controlled. And to have this interview and to be able to share it with, I I have nieces who are just getting into cosmetics. If we can educate people at a young age to be picking products that don't have harmful ingredients in them, it's going to make a big difference. I mean, I'm in my 30s and I've probably been playing around with cosmetics and well, personal care products you, you have since you're a child. So this is 20, oh, 30 years wipes. of exposure. Like, really, All of that. From the All moment you're born, and I'm, I'm sure before, as most chemicals travel, we know there are now a couple hundred chemicals in the umbilical cord of an unborn child. So we are exposed to them. But then the moment we are born, we are in this world. And luckily, there are choices now. And these are, you know, there was only marketing and advertisement over the last 40 years. And now there are all these nonprofits doing really amazing work and having lists of what to avoid and having lists of what to choose and more and more options of really transparent green businesses that mean well. Yes, I think that it's the it's the people who are really demanding transparency and the, the nonprofits 
clients who are working on behalf. And all of that is creating a culture. Just like Janet said, there are a lot of companies that are voluntarily formulating their products without any of these harmful ingredients. And that, for me, the fact that we are an empowered consumer base and that there are people who really share these values in creating products like this, it gives me so much hope. Yes, this episode was brought to you by Credo Beauty, offering a selection of artisan beauty brands committed to health and sustainability now in San Francisco and online at credobeauty.com. What a packed hour and can't wait for next week. And we appreciate you tuning in. That was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talk Organic. We'll see you next week. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash an organic conversation thank you for your contribution an organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters earl's organic produce a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store home or business since 1988 the website is earlsorganic.com and also fry vineyards america's first certified organic winery producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.